This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. As we stand, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to engage with this challenging passage from Luke's Gospel this morning. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand, and wills to do and respond to your call. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a reminder, if you want to follow along in the text, it's page 851, Luke 16. In this gospel reading today, Jesus tells the story that Bishop Grant just read of a man who was successful, smart, savvy, and shrewd. And he basically said, we ought to learn a thing or two from this fellow. Some versions of the Bible, including our Pew Bibles today, give a title to this passage, the parable of the dishonest manager. Certainly an appropriate title for the crook in this story. The story begins with a manager who's been squandering his master's property, and somehow his mismanagement has been uncovered. And as the story unfolds, we see how the manager engages well, in some very quick thinking and some pretty sharp dealing, he knows only too well that once he's dismissed, he runs the risk of never getting a decent job again. We learn from the man in the story that he wasn't uh, strong enough to dig and he didn't want to end up begging. So instead, he does something rather dubious. He calls in the various debtors of his master and does them all a big favor. The first one comes in, verse 6, owing 100 jugs of oil and, and is told to, well, make that 50. And the next guy comes in. He owes 100 containers of wheat. And he says, oh, well, make that 80. And on it goes. And it really, it's rather clever <laughs> because he puts his boss in a very tricky place. The Relieved debtors, not knowing that the manager they've been dealing with has just been sacked, will all have been delighted at the seeming generosity of the master and the big discount they've just got. Indeed, some of them may even pay up those discounted sums right away. So the master either has to take credit for what his double-crossing manager has done and lose a significant profit, or expose himself to the risk of losing all the goodwill that he's just acquired. He's basically cornered. But the real surprise in this parable is the praise that Jesus seems to give to this dishonest rogue who succeeds in getting away with swindling his master in order to feather his own nest. At first, it seems rather difficult to see how Jesus could possibly praise the dishonest manager. We need to take a closer look, for we see that the praise that Jesus gives is not for the man's dishonesty, but, verse 8, his shrewdness. And his master commended the dishonest man manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. 
Dishonest though he was, the manager had a keen eye on the future. And disgraceful though his methods were, he did well for himself. What a striking contrast there is between the manager's conduct about his own earthly prospects, which was as far into the future as he was concerned about, and the conduct of most people about their souls and eternity. When we think of the time and energy and effort many people invest in their homes, in making money, or frankly spending time on social media, or simply on themselves, and then compare that to the time, energy, and money people invest in their commitment to God, then maybe we can begin to understand something of the challenge of this parable for us today. You know, we live in a culture that at best plays mere lip service to God. And we're rightly warned from an early age to read the small print and be careful of offers that sound too good to be true. And Jesus himself elsewhere calls us to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. The point is, being shrewd should not only be a quality of people who are self-serving or dishonest. We need to be shrewd for the sake of the kingdom of God. But how? How can we be shrewd for God? Well, one way that we can be shrewd for God is, of course, with money. Indeed, this is the focus of this passage today. I think Christians sometimes struggle with talking about money, maybe because they feel guilty about it or embarrassed about it, or maybe because they've been turned off, frankly, by some questionable TV evangelists or preachers begging for money, or just because so often maybe they're just bombarded with requests for money for all manner of good causes. We do know, however, that Jesus talked a great deal about money. And I suspect that was because he knew and wanted us to know just what a powerful spiritual barometer money can be. You know, show someone your bank account uh, statements or your credit card statements for a year and they will probably have a pretty good idea of where your priorities lie. Some people are driven by the desire to have more, more money, more toys, more power, or whatever it is that money can buy. Others find themselves enslaved by money, enslaved by debt and financial struggles that can lead to despair. Well, in our gospel passage this morning, by the way, this is just the lectionary reading that was appointed. It was a mistake in the uh, bulletin. I mean, you might be tempted to think I would have made the change because this is a bit tricky, but no, we're going to go with what's appointed. In this passage, Jesus says some things that are difficult. Like in verse 9, where he says, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Well, what does that mean? 
I, I think at least part of what Jesus is saying here is that we should use worldly wealth effectively so that when it fails, as it surely will, we will have invested in those things that really matter in the kingdom of God for all eternity. But how? How can you invest in the kingdom of God? Well, there are many ways. Let me just try and give you a few examples from the week that's gone. On Wednesday, I stopped in to see how our international ministry was going. Every room in the education room was filled with adults learning English from all over the world. We've got more than 100 people engaging in these classes each week from 22 different countries. And in each classroom, there were volunteers from Ascension, some of you will have been there, um, who are investing their time and their skill shrewdly, wisely, in this kingdom work. And we do that because we love our neighbors, because we want to help our neighbors, and because if they're willing, we'd love to share something about Jesus with our neighbors. But we'll do the former whether or not they come to the Bible studies that we offer, which, by the way, scores of people are attending. Well, that was Wednesday. On Thursday evening, we had the annual dinner and commissioning service for those involved in music and worship arts. And there were more than 40 people who attended out of an even larger pool. And I was struck again at how blessed we are to have so many talented and gifted people who give of their time and use their talents in our midst to help all of us in our corporate worship. But beyond that, and here's the shrewd bit, beyond that, many of these artists are using their gifts Monday through Saturday as harbingers of the kingdom of God, bringing beauty and inspiration to a broken and hurting world through their music and through their artistry. This is another way Christians can be shrewd and good stewards of that which has been entrusted to them. Okay, on Friday, in, in my role as a member of the executive committee of our province, of the Anglican Church in North America, I was on a conference call with a number of super competent and godly attorneys and some business leaders as we took counsel together regarding issues of justice. And as we saw in our passage from the prophet Amos, I'm not focusing on that, but it's worth referencing, God cares about justice. He cares when falsehood and deceit are practiced, when there's dishonest dealing in the marketplace. These things matter to God. And so in a congregation like ours, every day, folks get to live out their callings as disciples of Jesus in their vocations, in their work places, in their everyday ordinary lives, Monday through Saturday. These are the places where we are to live as Christians who are shrewd, not for our own gains, but for the sake of the gospel. Each one here is called to be an honest manager, a faithful steward of the time, of the talents, and the money that God has entrusted to us. And this is true for us as individuals, and it applies to us as a congregation. 
You know, as a church, we have invested in people and programs and all that goes into being a church in this city. And sometimes that investment comes about through direct financial support. Sometimes it's through how we use these buildings and the space we have. Sometimes it's through the investment we make in our staff team. These buildings, the money that you give to God's work through Ascension, the clergy and the staff paid and volunteer, and each and every person in our midst, all of us together, all of these things together, are God's resources. We are merely, and merely not in a dismissive way, but with great responsibility, managers of those resources. And so our task is to be faithful, generous, and shrewd managers. And that's our task individually with the portion of God's wealth that we've each been entrusted responsibility for, and corporately with that which God has entrusted to this congregation. And as we hear and share the stories of God at work in and through us here at the corner of Neville and Ellsworth and in all the places where we live and work, we give glory to God for what he is doing in the lives of men, women, and children. The story of God's love and faithfulness is the story that runs through the pages of the Bible from the very beginning to the end. It's the story of a creator God who loves us. A story of God who, when we turned away from him, he did not reject us. But instead, he came to us in his son. He opened his arms of love for us upon the cross. And he made the perfect sacrifice for our sin, our selfishness, our rebellion. Indeed, this is the story that we rehearse every Sunday in the words of the Eucharistic prayer. This is the story of the God who embraces us as his children and welcomes us to sit and eat with him. This is the story of God who calls us to be a beacon of light in the darkness equipping us for his service by the power and the presence of his Holy Spirit. This, then, is the backdrop to why we give. We give in response to God's faithfulness and saving love. We may not always feel as if we have enough. And yet, in truth, we are blessed materially beyond the imaginations of most people in the world. And as citizens of God's kingdom, well, we're just that. We're his subjects. He is the king. He is the Lord. And we are his managers. And the way Jesus concludes this exhortation to be shrewd for the kingdom is by reminding us very bluntly that no slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is not Jonathan Millard saying this. These are the words of Jesus. The dishonest manager 
had clearly been a bad steward of his master's wealth. He'd squandered his master's property. That's why charges were brought to the master um, about him and why he was being called to give an account. But what about us? What account will we be able to give of the way we have used the wealth that has been entrusted to us? And I put it that way very deliberately. You see, we might prefer instead to talk about our money, which we have earned from our own hard work. And yet, we must remember that so much of the wealth we enjoy comes as a result of the opportunities that we have been given. And however you have come by your wealth, as a Christian, it's actually not yours. Don't worry, I'm not going all communist on you. It's just, this is the way it is. As Christians, all that we have belongs to God. And we're entrusted with it, to use it, all of it, for his glory. So let's thank God for our minds, our employment, our health, our strength, and realize that with those blessings comes responsibilities. So, we're to practice hospitality. We are to help the poor. We're to use money as a means to an end. Not our own ends, but the eternal end of being devoted and serving God, not our wealth. Of being responsible with that which God has entrusted to us to use as his faithful stewards. Jesus said in verse 10, whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. You know, investing in the kingdom of God very often may concern the smallest things. In our lives as Christians, we're called to pay faithful attention to the everyday familiar tasks that come before us, however small and insignificant they may be. You know, for most people, life consists of a series of small decisions, small steps, incremental habits. Most of us will not negotiate a peace treaty or appoint judges or reverse climate change. More likely, this coming week will be filled with rather more mundane opportunities to be faithful. Let me, let me throw out a few suggestions, such as turning off your smartphone to be fully present to those who are around you taking stock of how busy your life has become and choosing to do less, reading a story to a child, giving someone a meal, writing a note, making the first move to talk with someone you've fallen out with, going to choir practice, visiting someone who is sick, listening to someone. Let me just say that one again. Listening to someone without trying to fix them, perhaps. Telling the truth working on a project at work with integrity, helping a colleague, not taking credit for something you've worked on, forgiving someone who has wronged you. Well, that, of course, might not be a small thing. That might be a huge thing. Giving generously to God's work, giving to our Morden Stones campaign. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. So let me ask you this, how honest are you 
Are you being honest with yourselves? Are you being honest with God about those things that maybe you'd rather not talk about? Will you be honest about your performance and attitude at work? Will you be honest about your money, your spending, your giving? Do you do the minimum at work or do you do all your work as to the Lord? Do you complain about your work or give thanks to God for your work? Are you giving generously, financially? Or do you cry poor when actually you're among the richest people on the planet? We all are. Being a faithful manager in the kingdom of God is about handling that which ultimately does not belong to us, but rather belongs to God. So if you ever thought that the Christian faith was bland or not somehow controversial, hopefully this will turn that idea on its head. In this area of our financial stewardship, the responsibility facing each one of us is not primarily that we give to meet the church's annual budget, although we do have a budget, or to meet the very extensive needs outlined in our More Than Stones capital campaign, although those needs are real, but rather that we would be faithful in how we use 100% of that which has been entrusted to us. And that includes giving back to God the first fruits, the very best of all that he has so graciously entrusted to us. God is doing so many good things in our midst, in and through the lives of individuals, through the ministries here at Ascension, through the offerings of our lives at work and in the service of others. May we never quit telling the story of God's love. May we always be shrewd managers of that which God has entrusted to us. And may we ever be those who sow bountifully and give cheerfully. And finally, I pray that we may be faithful even as God is faithful. Amen.